Okay, welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Kate, the producer of Pod Rocket. With me hosting today is Noel. Hello, Noel. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you, Kate? Thanks for joining us as the host today. And then our guests are Alex Page and Yurima Estevez from the Polaris Design Team. Hello, Alex and Yurima. Hello. Thank you for having us. Excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So I think I think to to jump in with maybe we should kind of like frame what Polaris is and what its role is with Shopify, particularly for those listeners who like aren't familiar with the Shopify ecosystem and um, you know, like the purpose it serves. So can you kind of like set that up a little bit? Like what's the mission of the design system? Why is it needed? Who's it for? Kind of play that out. Yeah, I mean I, I might start an offhand over the URI at some point, but um Polaris has been at Shopify since way before I even uh, joined. Like I've been at Shopify for three years now. Um, it is a design system. Um, obviously, there's lots of layers to what is a design system. So when we talk about a design system at Shopify, we're talking about um, the website, which contains guidance. So lots of guidance around how to write content, how to design patterns, um, how to create different flows in the UI. Um, what we think of when we think of building different experiences. Um, I think of uh, our components and our code that comes with them. So what makes them accessible, performant, um, scalable, uh, how they allow people to build up different patterns and solve different problems. Um, so there's lots of like interconnecting pieces, but the reason for all of this existing is we need a way that our, to, to enable our designers and developers to solve complex problems at scale. And um, that's, that's the real point of this. So like, why do we have this guidance and why do we have these components and why do we have this website and these repositories? Um, it's because we want to solve really complex design problems at scale and code and tooling and guidance is the ways that we believe that we can do that. Yoram, um, do you want to maybe talk a bit to our, our mission and like what we're aiming for? Yeah, totally. So our mission for this year is, I would say, pretty ambitious, but uh, I believe we can definitely hit it for 2022. Um, as Alex said, the design system itself is for the uh, Shopify admin. So the admin is like the bread and butter of Shopify. It's where all of our merchants can uh, manage their orders, their products, their customers, um, and we're building the tools that enable designers and developers to build the best products for our merchants at Shopify. Um, and our mission this year is to make sure that 90% of the admin, 90% of our bread and butter, as I said, is using Polaris. And the reason we want to do that is so that um, everything we build in the admin is always getting the, uh, the best components, the best performance, best accessibility. Um, and is consistent across any product, any team that is working in the admin, any experience that the merchant is in page, section, whatever. Um, so really just making sure that we have a consistent experience across all of the admin um, and hitting that high bar of 90% so that at any point, if we need to make any changes to the Polaris design system, we can more or less click a button or, you know, release a new update and say, okay, the majority of the admin now gets to benefit from all the amazing changes we've made. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how, how are you kind of working towards that goal of adoption? Like, what does that, what does that look like? So we, I think we started this new goal, 
I'm going to say in earnest this year, but it's something that we've been talking about for many months. Um, this year we kicked off, or actually at the end of last year, we kicked off a, um, a new project to really think about what is Polaris design system at the foundational level and how is it serving our users, our designers and developers, and how is it falling short? Um, so taking a really hard look in the mirror and basically saying like, where can we do a lot better? Um, and the thing that was most obvious was uh, our design system is a little too rigid. It was built with a specific purpose. Um, and you know, as Shopify, the admin, the number of people working in the admin grew, so did the complexity of the admin and in turn, the complexity of the design system. Um, and now it's gotten to a point where it's too rigid, it is a little bit too flexible, and we're taking a step back essentially and deciding to go back to the foundations, go back to the base layer of Polaris design system and say, where do we make the most significant changes that are gonna provide the most value? A lot of it is like taking a look at our uh, primitives are like really baseline components and saying, can we break this down further? Can we make this more flexible, more atomic uh, so that our users can come in and just like pick all the things out that they need for what they're building and use it in whatever way they need. Um, Alex, please feel free to jump in if, if I missed anything. I, I think that's good. It's like, uh, it's really tricky when we talk about adoption because it comes back to like what our users need. And our users need so many different things from a design system team. Um, it could be, how do I frame this sentence? It could be, how do I build this little piece of the UI? Um, so we have like an unlimited number of problems. So what we've been doing recently is just trying to go and ask why, like to Yorima's point of like getting down to like some of the root cause problems. Like if we ask why enough times, um, why is this component uh, so large and so different and so uh, custom and why can't we put this into the design system? We'll usually end up with an answer, which is like, there isn't enough flexibility in layout at this point in the UI. And we wish that we could create this thing in a way that was more scalable. And then we want to solve that problem. And so when we're going through and supporting and helping these teams adopt the system, um, it's really trying to find those like deep uh, underlying problems um, at the heart of the system, instead of just being like, okay, cool, let's, bring all your problems into the system and then we've got more problems in the system, but we've got higher adoption. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I guess maybe to help us frame a little bit more, and you guys are talking about like working with teams, is that mainly internal teams or are you guys working with like external design teams and devs as well? That's a really good question. Um, we, have, we have multiple users. so. The, the primary user that we do focus on are the internal teams building the admin product at Shopify. So the admin product is like, um, when I am a merchant running a store, I log into shopify.com slash admin, and I'll see a list of all of the orders that have come in that have been bought from my store. I can see a list of my users. I can see a list of my products. I can go into like a details page with lots of form elements and edit those things. So realistically, like these people building these UIs, these lists and these forms and these flows, this is our primary audience. Um, but the Polaris design system does also have a really strong mandate to help also our third party and our developer ecosystem. So there are a lot of people 
um, externally that contribute to building on Shopify's platform. They'll either be building applications or they will be building um, integrations with how Shopify works. And sometimes they want their UI to feel a part of the application or a part of the system. Um, they want it to feel like it's a, you know, a first party experience. So we try to build tools and experiences to make their life easier as well. We don't want people to uh, want to build or have an excellent idea about like gift cards and then have to build everything from scratch. We want them to like get some really good primitives, accessible, some examples that they can like configure together to solve that problem. Yoram, is there anything you would add around our audience? I mean, it is an open source repo too. You could maybe talk a little about that. Yeah, so as Alex said, uh, we have our third-party developers that are external to Shopify, but still working within the Shopify ecosystem and building out really amazing tools uh, for our merchants. So in order to give them that like really solid base and starting point, we have the Polaris design system, open source, available. Um, it's actually how I learned about Shopify was in the design system space. Polaris is uh, one of, I think, one of the more well-known design systems. Um, and I knew about Polaris far before I knew Shopify and then realized like, oh, wow, this is a really good starting point for building out any sort of tools that are meant to be living inside of this Shopify admin ecosystem. Um, so we do have that third party audience. And then the internal audience, uh, we mentioned already the designers and developers at Shopify working in the admin. A lot of times we uh, will partner with them to help maybe support when they are coming up with new ideas or if they're struggling a little bit with any new products. Um, sometimes they will come to us and say, hey, we have this idea for contributing this back to the Polaris design system. Um, can you give us a little bit of support? Or sometimes folks will be like, hey, we have this product that we need to build. Um, we're not quite sure the right way to go about it. We know that the design system has some guidelines, but our use case is maybe a little bit more nuanced or bespoke, and we want to go about it the right way. So it, it really depends, um, the, the team, the individual contributor, but it, it is uh, this kind of two-sided uh, audience of internal users, designers, and developers, and then third-party developers who are external to Shopify. Uh, who are also building in this ecosystem. Nice. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so Yorama, you, you said you you were familiar with the design system before you even like knew it was tied to uh, Shopify at all. Is that right? I, I knew about it and knew about Shopify as like, it's a company. Um, I had no idea what Shopify did. I had no idea like it was e-commerce until I looked at Shopify, was like, this is awesome, and dug a little bit deeper and was like, oh, okay, so this is specifically for the product that they have built, the, the e-commerce platform that they have. So um, it was great because it's, you know, it's, it's an amazing design system in and of itself, but it is also uh, built with a specific purpose of working within the Shopify ecosystem, specifically for the admin, um, specifically for the designers, developers that are working in that space. Gotcha, gotcha. That kind of that kind of leads to my next question then: of is is there any use case outside of the like Shopify ecosystem, or are the components pretty tied, like closely tied to Shopify, like APIs and data fetching and stuff like that? I mean, there's no uh, API connections. Like, uh, actually, sometimes frustratingly, um, we'll have a really big component like a resource list, and 
Um, it will give you very light guidance on like how to set that up. But when you want to set up sorting and filtering and populating the data in those lists, that's a lot of work for you and your team. And um, I wish you had better examples for that, but like that flexibility means that you can use it for lots of different things. I think um, whether whether sort of more strictness would live would be on the design side. So if we looked at like our page component, which is a very opinionated component on almost how like a uh, a form page should be structured at Shopify, that is very strict um, sort of like layout and uh, typography and uh, positioning of buttons and things like this. And if you were going to use that page component to create a blog, um, I'm sure you get really frustrated really quickly uh, with the layouts and the opinions there. Um, but if you went back to the smaller layers, like the typography layers, and started to construct your own layout, um, maybe you could have some success, but you'd probably still be like, oh, this doesn't feel as flexible as something like Tailwind. Um, and it's not meant to be as flexible as Tailwind or as Bootstrap. It is meant to be opinionated to the products that we're building at Shopify. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. That makes sense. Yeah. I and mean, maybe then kind of the, the next question from there is we, we talked about like some um, higher level, like kind of layout components and like lower level stuff. There's like buttons and drop downs and stuff. But maybe a good question to answer is like, how does a design system differ from something like a component library? Oof. I mean, <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, the reason why I made that, that sound is I think at times like Polaris feels like a component library. Um, and the reason that I say that is a system to me uh, should be really easy to change and to configure and to like push out a change and you sort of see that flow through the whole system. Um, but due to our you know, lack of coverage and due to the way that things have been architected, it makes it really difficult at times to make changes like that. Um, so when I think of a design system, I'm thinking of like a really low layer API of like tokens and design tokens are sort of like the smallest piece that you can have, like a blue color for links or a um, rounded circle for avatars and like keeping that rounded circle value and then reusing that somewhere else with like an icon component. Um, that, that becomes a really powerful system. And then if you wanted to update that, like maybe you wanted to change the font family from like a system font to a branded font, um, you do that in one location instead of over 30 components. So when I think of like a component library, I don't see that connection to like a lower level system. It's more just like, here's the text, here's the page, here's the button. Um, but if you wanted to make a change to the typography in all of those three places, you'd make it in those three places, whereas the system is sort of providing the integral links. Um, I think the other thing that I'd talk about is like the people and the culture and like the things that we're trying to impact and they feel quite different, but maybe you I mean, you can speak to that. I feel like you, you, you know where I'm going. Yeah, totally. I, I, totally felt that noise that you made, Alex, because I feel like that is a question that I have tried to answer many times and had been asked many times. And everything that you said about like the, um, the system layer is completely true, but there's also this other aspect of like the culture around a design system and the culture around like what you're trying to accomplish with the design system. Um, there's the aspect obviously of like, consistency and high quality UX, um, getting a lot of the, the free things out of the box, like accessibility, performance, uh, secure components, things like that. Um, but it, without the, the other parts of that, 
it is really just like either a style guide, which is telling you how should something look, or a component library, which is basically just like uh, building blocks that you can configure in any way. But without the two things meeting in the middle, which is where like the people come in and making sure that you're speaking the same language across designers and developers, uh, making sure that you have um, documented decisions about why you build something this certain way or design something a certain way or how you are recommending someone use or build a page or something like that. Um, it all kind of just falls into the ether and anyone can do anything. And then it it is not as powerful or, or uh, robust as it could be. So it, it is a design, a design system is what it provides to you. It provides the, uh, the like, how should this look? How does this work? Here are the pieces, but it's also the why behind it. Like, why is this the way it is? Why should I build this in this specific way? Why did I choose these colors, this typography, this spacing? Um, and I think a lot of that is, is where the power of the design system really comes together and you get the value of it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think in my head, like a, a design system is like a higher level, like con like you guys, there's like a human element to it, and like there's designers and um, you know like opinions and, and ways in which that this thing should feel to interact with. Um, but it's it's interesting to hear your guys's kind of take on like the, the community around it being so integral to making something feel like a design system versus just like a component library that is maybe implementing a design system. Um, yeah, very cool. I guess kind of on that note, then can we can we get into like Polaris and and its opinions and why it is the way that it is a little bit, um, like the visual style, the performance, like that kind of thing. Maybe maybe starting with like the visual element is a good place to begin. Yeah, I mean, uh, might be a slightly hot take, or I mean, people on our team probably wouldn't say that, but I think the the visual style at times can feel a bit dated, um, and the reason for I mean. Like I'll, I will talk to the visual style though. Like we have lots of cards, uh, like everywhere you'll see in our design and in our products are big white uh, rectangles, um, lots of grays, uh, not a lot of color. Um, we've really tried to like make the visual style feel like a powerful uh, tool to like help you complete uh, tasks. But there's a lot of white space. And there's a lot of like similar re repeated patterns. And at times it doesn't feel like that powerful tool. Um, so, Back to your question that I try to put a positive spin on it. Um, there are some, there are some like really great like design opinions, um, in like our illustration style, for instance, which is like very flat and creative. And, um, so like these beautiful, uh, aesthetics of like people and, uh, masking shapes and things like this. Um, but when you look at our design, sort of like typography and, um, shapes and things like this, it's a lot more rigid. It's like we're here to help you get things done. Um, we don't want to really intrude or get in your way. Um, it's like a powerful tool to help you get from A to B. Um, and at times that, uh, I don't know, that could be more creative or could be more, like it could be more, uh, I don't know, uh, di diversity of design opinion in there as well. Um, and I think that's something that we notice is like, uh, if somebody uses cards in like some of the prominent areas of the website, then another person will be like, oh, that's the pattern that we should use in our area of the website. So that also sort of scales some of those things where we're like, ah, we wish you were more creative or we wish that you tried and experimented more for design. So yeah, there's, there's a few layers there, but like, yeah, we definitely we want to keep it a fresh visual style um, and to get it, to make it a fresh visual style, 
we have to have lots of adoption. So we're really focusing on adoption right now so that we can push out more uh, improvements to our visual start across the system, across the product. Um, Yoram, would there be anything you want to add? Honestly, I think you put that really well, Alex. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm curious, um, like it, you have a lot of, um, there's so much, so there's a, a lot of documentation, the system's very big, um, but you mentioned it kind of can feel old. I guess I'm curious, like, is there this thought that, um, you know, you probably see a lot of design that's comes out every day. It's like, oh, this is so cool and awesome. How do you keep something updated and also like thoroughly documented and um, and the size that that Polaris is? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if you can, honestly. I, like, uh, like, I think that's, that's the goal for us, honestly, as a company right now is like, um, I think that we focus too much on like scaling the system and not enough on uh, improving the visual design. And I think it got to a point where like the visual design hadn't been improved, but then the scale started to lack. Um, so I feel like at times you have to like focus on one and drop the ball on the other or focus on the other and drop the ball on the other one. Um, and right now it feels like we're really focusing on the scaling aspect. Like our team is really focusing on getting more adoptions that we can uh, push the design forwards. But when we get into that pushing the designs forward stages, um, we hope that the scale behind it is going to continue and keep its momentum. Um, but sometimes that like, you know, that can drop too. And um, it kind of gets into a bit of like the breaking changes and the uh, how you version and how you like ship large design changes as well, because that's not necessarily easy at a company of our scale. Like I think I read the other day that in the past 120 days, there was over a million lines of TypeScript shipped to our uh, admin products. And that's a lot, that's, that's a lot of code. And to be a design system that is like supporting that speed and that momentum um, is really challenging. And we, we need to like have things built on the right layers so that as those million lines of code get created, hopefully 800 to 900,000 of those lines of code are coming from components in Polaris. And that's not always the case, but that's the goal. Um, so I hope that makes sense, but it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Is there like a, is there a, is there a, um, a performance element at all to like the decisions you guys are making, kind of keeping things simple, I guess, do, do components generally map to like the, you know, HTML native types or like the primitives there? We definitely have, um, a bunch, like a really good baseline that are probably analogous with most, I'm going to say most, um, most or a lot of the, the like out of the box HTML uh, elements that exist. But we also think about like um, accessibility. So we think about how like, what are the UI patterns or uh, UI components that are really prevalent in the admin and how can we like construct them and put them together so that they are fully accessible and performant and um, they may not be like the exact copy paste from an HTML element, but they are constructed in a way that they um, will hopefully work for the most people um, and be fast and be uh, secure and do the job the way that we need it to do the job. Yeah, performance is, performance is tricky. I feel like uh, Johan, one of our staff designers on our team, he would even talk about like the human uh, 
aspect of performance and like what does it what does it feel like and what does it mean uh, to feel like this thing is a performant product. Um, and I think that, that that almost comes back to like UI patterns too. Like when I open this page, what do I see? How does it transition to like a complete state? Um, what is changing? Are things jumping up and moving everywhere or are they like staying in one place and the important information is available to me immediately and the less important information populates at a later time? Um, so there's also that aspect, which is very difficult to systemize, but we do have patterns in our system to help with that. Um, but then I just also wanted to add to like what Yoram was saying. There's also the lowest, lowest, lowest layer where we'll look at like a line of CSS and we'll be like, is this will change property um, positively impacting like the code or is it negatively impacting the code? And maybe this will change property is in a button component, which is rendered 30 times on the page or something like this. And we're realizing that that is calling that will change too many times and we need to like remove it. So there are lots of layers that we look into on performance, but I think to Yorama's point, we really focus on that like helping users performantly flow through tasks and building the right patterns that are accessible and help them complete their you know, complete the problems that are put in front of them. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't considered like a, a design system or e even a component library's role in like trying to reduce things like uh, content jumping around on the page and like jitter and stuff like that. How how like how are those problems solvable at at the design system level? I think it's around education and um, also around um, best practices. So for instance, we might, like we don't have anything now, but we have an experiences section on our website and we might actually create a page there called loading. And we might talk about how to create the best loading experience. Um, it might not necessarily have code. It might not necessarily go uh, into depth around what is cumul cum cumulative layout shift. I can't really say that word, sorry. <laughs> say it three times. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, like we might not go into those deep, like technical sort of sides, but we definitely will talk about the impact of like things moving for a user or, um, what it means to make a page that feels performant and feels fast. Like a page that loads in a second from start to finish might actually feel really quick to a user if certain things populate quicker or certain things, um, flow in. So we want to like educate and, uh, inspire and also help. Uh, the product designers at Shopify and the external people that use the product as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how about like you guys have mentioned uh, accessibility a couple of times. Um, how like what what role does that play in your decision making? You know, like you're picking I'm thinking of things like colors and animations and stuff like that. Like how, how do those how do those two um, like kind of play into that accessibility angle? Yeah, I'd actually say that uh, accessibility is one of those core principles that we have on the team and certainly at the design system level. Um, every, almost everything, I want to say everything, but that feels very definitive. Almost everything that we build, we want to make sure that this is going to reach and work for the most people. Um, so we do a lot of uh, keyboard navigation testing. I know that a lot of the developers are testing things with screen readers and making sure how is this going to um, sound to someone who may not be able to see the screen or who isn't able to use a mouse um, or any other sort of uh, ranges, ranges of abilities or disabilities. Um, and that does definitely come into, like, into play for like 
color and how things scale. And um, even for things like what Alex was just talking about, how a page loads and making sure that things don't jump around on the page like that in and of itself is accessibility. It's of course something that speaks to performance and seeing like, what does the user feel when it comes to how fast this is? But it's also like, will a user who is maybe motion sensitive, are they going to uh, be triggered or get sick because a lot of elements on the page are moving around a bunch. So we, we do definitely think about it at many layers. Um, and it's something that we keep pretty high on the list of priorities. Yeah, nice. That's interesting. I guess I'm thinking of my experience like writing React components. And I feel like a lot of the time the safety net that's helping me ensure that like I'm writing HTML that is, you know, at, at least reasonably accessible and like works um, for as many people as possible is like linter rules will be like, you know, oh, ensure there's always like these certain tags on these elements. So they're like navigable by or navigable by a screen reader or, um, you know, like certain handlers shouldn't be put on this element because there's no way for someone like not using a mouse to interact that way. Does the design system have those opinions or how, like how is that enforced? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like a, one that comes to mind is like a text input component in Polaris today has a label property and the label property I'm pretty sure is required. So it's like, we always expect there to be a label with a text input. Um, then you can also, but the problem is, is then we also add a property to hide the label. Um, and this sort of keeps scaling from there. And one of the things that I think I'd like to see with our system is a little bit more trust. And it's difficult because accessibility isn't something we want to compromise on but we really want to give trust back to the designers and developers building these things. So one example of this might be we have text inputs that don't have labels and that's okay. Um, but we trust that these teams will add the label and do it correctly. Or maybe we will, to your point, add some linting rules to like double check that like, if there isn't a label prop, that there is still a label connected to that react element. Um, so there's lots of approaches. And I think uh, our current approach does feel very, uh, leaning in the side of we want to like enforce and ensure accessibility. Um, but at times, like we might have a really complex, um, almost like table with like text inputs in it um, to like modify like each row of the table. And that becomes really difficult to, I'd say, scale or make accessible when that flexibility isn't there. So there's a lot of combinations like that that we're constantly thinking about in terms of what is the right opinion to have at the system level to make this accessible and like how much trust and education do we potentially have to like re re remove restrictions, if that makes sense. Um, and that's a difficult balance to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I, I think that's kind of like why I've, I've found like the linting rules are kind of an elegant solution, right? Cause like, Oh, like warn me, tell me I can like go add and ignore if I know it's this fine in this case, but like, Oh, it's a, it's a handy reminder. Yeah. I guess kind of on that front, I th there, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like a way you can kind of get a lot of the styling and, and stuff of the design system just with CSS includes. Is that is that right? Yeah, um, I'll talk to that quickly. Like uh, we um, take a lot of the SAS files from Polaris and we'll run that uh, through like a build process and we can output CSS. Um, this isn't pretty or very well documented. But what it does mean is that teams that are just building like scrappy or hacky and just want to like use some of those uh, CSS classes, they can do that. Um, I think we want to refine or make this approach a lot better though, because right now it just doesn't um, it doesn't really feel like a really well-constructed or really robust solution. It's more just like, a, hey, we can 
um, make our system more tech agnostic by like running some SaaS through a build process and outputting the stuff so that people can use it. Gotcha. Is there not a lot of like, um, uh, like components or elements that are losing like structural data when you try to do that, that, that makes that difficult. I'm thinking, you know, like a, a card, I think you said there's like a lot of card esque elements. Like are those, are, are those not really, um, portrayed in the CSS at all? Like you kind of got to be using the react components to get those card layouts. No, you can, you can definitely like get like a dot Polaris dash card class out from the, um, outputted SAS, but there isn't really any documentation or like explanation that like, Oh, you need a div with this thing. And then inside it, you probably should add a title with this thing. Um, so it's more around like you get this big blob of CSS and we really hope that you understand how the HTML is structured. Um, I think that could definitely, uh, be, be iterated on or be made a much better experience. But um, Yorami, do you want to maybe talk about like, I don't know, like tech agnostic, why that's important or like what that means for our third party developers? Because obviously React is great, but it has some limitations for them. Yeah, totally. So um, I think we mentioned, or if we haven't mentioned, so Polaris, the Polaris design system is uh, built as a React uh, UI library. And obviously, as soon as you choose any front-end library, you're, you're pretty, you're setting yourself um, in stone of like, this is the direction we're going. We have these opinions um, and we, we hope everybody else is along for the ride because if you're not, then we're going to try to give you some tools like outputting uh, just plain CSS so that you can pull in and figure it out yourselves. Uh, but beyond that, there's not much else. Um, so we have been, because we have this third-party audience who are external to uh, Shopify, we want to make sure that those developers um, have the, you know, the same, same tools, the tools that they need. Um, and we've been talking about maybe more tech agnostic approaches, um, thinking about what would a world of Polaris design system look like if it wasn't tied to React. Um, some of that has been in the the world of like, what if it was just HTML and CSS only, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, no, no libraries. Um, we also were thinking about web components at some point just to see like, hey, web components are in a good place now. Um, there's a little bit of movement behind them. They're pretty interesting. So let's take a look at what that might look like. Uh, and again, the reason that we want to do those explorations is to just push on the boundaries of um, like, what does this design system look like, feel like, work like when it's not tied to React, especially in this, you know, growing world where we have more and more uh, third-party developers coming to the Shopify ecosystem and really hungry to just contribute and build apps, um, but not wanting to be tied to React or a very specific uh, UI library. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I guess I, you, you mentioned like even uh, bundling, like ne needing to bundle JavaScript files in there as well if you were to move to something more framework agnostic. What what kind of logic is JavaScript handling that would need to be included? Um, in a framework agnostic world, it would need to be any of the like dynamic interactions of the UI components, I think. Um, anything, really anything that's like uh, a UI component that a user can click or move or anything, like anything that you do on the web would really need to rely on JavaScript to be enabled, used, 
Um, yeah. Thing like a collapsible component, which on click goes up and down and hides and shows the content. Um, adding and removing like ARIA uh, attributes as well when that happens. Like there's a lot of small things that like we, we benefit from JavaScript in, especially around accessibility. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was just I was just thinking of like the, those areas that aren't handled like natively, where you wouldn't just be passing JavaScript into something you imported, but like there would need to be JavaScript imported as well. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I guess when you guys made the decision to use React, was that was that driven by just like what was being in, used internally already, and that was like the logical choice, or was it just because because React is kind of so you know ubiquitous at this point? It's it's a it's a product decision, yeah. Like you're right. It's um, what what are we building our product with, and where do we want to take our product to? So, um, previously, Polaris was a Rails uh, front end library, and it was a whole bunch of Rails components, and a lot of our front ends was, were built in Rails. Um, but as the company scaled and grew, um, it was a lot easier to hire React developers. It was a lot easier to grow teams around React that had deep front end expertise. Um, so we, I don't know if that's the only reason, this is some of the reasoning that I've heard of, um, from other people, but, uh, that was a big push for like, okay, building React front ends is, is going to help us scale and build this product to be the best that it can be. Um, uh, Shopify is very growth driven though. Like, uh, we'd love our Rails developers to learn React. We love our React developers to learn Rails as well. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say there is like, we're not against any frameworks or anything like this. It's just more, we're just trying to find what the right uh, solution is for us as a company to be successful. Yeah, totally. I think, I think that that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that kind of leads me to another interesting question. So say, say there's like teams out there, they're kind of outgrowing this, they're like in-house rules and they're deciding maybe they want to start building with a design system or leaning on one to like do a lot of that kind of, you know, groundwork for them, set the foundation. Would you recommend Polaris, anyone? I mean, obviously if you're doing like Shopify heavy integrations and stuff like that, but kind of beyond that, like say you're just a React shop, do you think um, like people should be looking at Polaris? Say like if, if you're not a React shop, do you think it's it's worth checking out right now? I could try answering. I'd love to hear Jerome's opinion as well, but like my honest opinion would be no, def definitely not. Like uh, Polaris is a, um, opinionated design system built for like commerce admin experiences. Um, so what I think you would notice is maybe you'd get like a really quick initial benefit. You're like, wow, we've got all these components and buttons and pieces that we can build things with. And that's fine. Like, I, I guess if you need that, do that. Um, but say in six months to a year's time, you'll be like, actually, um, our product needs to be more opinionated about this. So we actually believe that this is a better pattern for the problem that we're trying to solve. Like say you were using or creating like a music player and all you had was the Polaris resource list component. You'd probably be really frustrated um, about how that UI is built in an opinionated way because that UI was built to hold a list of orders or a list of products. And now you're trying to make it a music player. Like it's just, it wasn't constructed with that opinion. Um, but uh, back to what I was saying, like if you needed something to get started with really quickly or to learn from, um, I wouldn't be against that. But I would say that there are probably less opinionated uh, systems or um, frameworks that might be a better better starting place for you if that was the approach that you were taking. Um, but maybe one day in the future, Polaris will be less opinionated or more flexible. And then I would 
step back on my words as well. But that's just how I feel today. Totally. Yeah. Big plus one, Alex. I feel like the if if what you're trying to do is build a really great e-commerce experience within Shopify, then Polaris is 100% what you should be reaching for. Um, probably anything outside of that, I would be a little bit concerned because again, Polaris is built with the idea of like, how can we provide the best e-commerce experience for our merchants within the admin? Um, so there's, there's nuances there. We are looking at to research and making sure we understand how our merchants are using the admin, making sure that we understand how our designers and developers are building within this ecosystem. And once you break out of that, uh, it's just really hard to know. Well, actually, it's not really hard to know. This is probably something that we can say with pretty high confidence. Um, it's just going to fall short or it's not going to do what you need it to do, or you're going to have to do a lot of hacky things and like really break out of the system to try and make it work for you. And even if you can manage that, you may not get the best experience out of that anyway. Gotcha. Gotcha. That, that leads me to an interesting question, I guess. Um, so in, in, I mean, like Shopify is obviously pretty large, but, but these other companies were like, you know, you're, you're growing, you're working on your components and you got like pretty healthy CSS and everything. When do you think it's the right time to start thinking about like, you know, your component, your component library and your CSS and rules and stuff like that and like start kind of imagining them or at least working with them as a design system? Do you think it like happens organically and it just kind of, you know, ends up occurring or like is the conscious decision necessary to start like, you know, applying design principles to your component libraries? I'm going to say something and I don't know if this is going to be a hot take, but I'm just going to say it and we'll, we'll see. Uh, I feel like that is a very personal choice and it's going to be different for every single company and how it comes about is always going to be unique. Um, I, I almost feel like it, it, it's like, it's like a vibe. It's a feeling. Obviously you'll have people that come in and they know design systems and they're like, yes, I want to build this design system. So I'm going to, um, and I'm going to try to get by and, and make it happen and all that. But when you're sitting uh, with the, you know, multiple products or the multiple teams and you're like, something isn't right here. Um, what can I do? What can I reach for? And you're like, okay, how do I start to consolidate all these things, get more consistency? That is probably when there's a spark and you're like, design systems, that's something that I've heard about. How can I get that started? Um, I, it's, it's one of those things that like, uh, at the last company I worked at, it was something that we knew we could really benefit from. Um, and there were starts and stops multiple times, I think over several years that I was there. And we just couldn't quite get there um, at a different company. Maybe it's something that you can get in one try. Like you just, you're, you have the team, the buy-in, the, um, the focus that you need to do it and you just do it. But in other instances, it might be a longer journey to get there. It might be a longer journey to realize that you needed that tool. Um, and hopefully once you do realize that you need it, you get the buy-in, you get everything that you need, then it's a slightly easier road to get there. I don't know if that answers the question entirely, but would love for also to hear, Alex, what your thoughts are. I mean, I, I would just add that it, it feels like it's driven from a place of frustration. So I'm a designer. 
and I have seen 10 different buttons. I'm so frustrated by this. This is, this is the button. Like let everyone know that this is the button. And same thing from a developer standpoint, which is I've built eight different modals this year and I don't want to do that anymore. This is how we should do modals and trying to scale that. And what I think you find is at some point in your career as maybe like a front-end developer or a designer, you'll hit these problems or see these uh, frustrations and either you can band together with other people and start trying to document them or uh, sort of write them down. Because I think the, the thing when a design system starts becoming a design system isn't when you have one modal, it's when you have one modal and you give the direction and the opinion and the inspiration to others around, this is our pattern for creating modals. Um, so I think at some point in time, you've got to be like, it's, it's not me fixing this frustration in a silo. It's I need to educate others and inspire others to follow this approach so that we don't keep falling into the same problems. And that, that feels like the right sort of turning point. I don't know if I've also like butchered the question. Maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was a particularly concise question. So I think, I think you guys did great. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, there, there's a lot of devs at those kind of, you know, small mid companies where they're like on that precipice. It's like, well, you know, we've got like component libraries. Like, is this a design system? I don't know. Like, we probably need to formalize this more. Um, but yeah, they're also feeling that frustration of there are seven different buttons and eight different modals that each have these, like every permutation of these four attributes is leading to a different modal component. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I've been there and I, I know that struggle. For me, it was... Uh, it was like, if I have to build another carousel, I swear, I don't know. I might just leave tech altogether and get rid of this whole programming ambitions. <laughs> um, okay. We, uh, I feel like we've covered so much. We are coming up on time. Um, I do want to ask, um, I was listening to, uh, I believe it was change log. Yeah. JS Party. Yeah, JS Party. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, and um, Alex, you had talked about um, replacing SaaS at Shopify. That was in 2019. Um, and I'm looking at this amazing spreadsheet of the solution analysis. Um, can you just kind of talk through that just briefly? Um, I just was wanting to ask, and um, I'm so curious how, how that process went. Yeah, I mean, it's still ongoing. Um, at that point in time, we were trying to think of, we had kind of like two branching paths. It was like, do we rebuild Polaris from scratch or do we fix Polaris as it is today? Um, we sort of at that point was doing some research into what would it look like rebuilding Polaris from scratch and what are some of the opinions that we would want to have? And this sort of direction that we were heading in was, um, one of the opinions was, what should we, what do we want to do to scale our CSS? And um, one of the things that we felt was uh, at Shopify, um, SaaS is used a lot. Like we love SaaS and we we use it uh, extensively, um, but our SaaS functions and our SaaS mixins and SaaS variables, they're not documented anywhere. And at a company of our scale where we're writing so much code all of the time, um, that's really bad. And that became a really big problem. And um, some of those things that were done in SaaS were also done a long time ago before things like CSS custom properties existed or powerful tools like PostCSS with lots of plugins that allow us to do nesting without actually needing SaaS also existed. So we kind of hit this point of like, what would, what would a future look like without um, SaaS? So we did some exploration into other frameworks and other approaches. Um, 
one of the things that we're really excited about is uh, also sort of like the power of the smallest CSS value. Um, so you sort of see this in Tailwind, and we also see this in a tool called Vanilla Extract. Um, lots of other things are talking about this now, but those are probably two that people have heard about most. Um, but the idea is uh, if you were to write 100,000 lines of CSS, maybe 10,000 of those lines are actually unique. So font weight 400 will get re repeated, let's say, 800 times in your code, but you now only define that one time and have one class name defined for that thing. And that became a really powerful sort of motivator for a company of our scale where we're writing so many, you know, millions of lines of code that if we could, in the end, sort of hit this ceiling of total CSS because every single new thing would eventually not be a new thing. It would just be another thing that's replicated from somewhere else. Um, that would be really powerful. So that's why we got really excited about things like Tailwind and uh, Vanilla Extract because they were sort of tools that um, took uh, traditional CSS and changed the output to be a bit more uh, the smallest piece possible. Um, and that could be a really powerful solution for Shopify. We haven't really progressed in using either of those frameworks, to be honest. But where we're at now is we're back in our products, trying to make our product the best that it can be. Um, we're not trying to create a new thing. But what we have done is we've started to remove SaaS functions. So one of the things we're really excited about is we're launching version 9 of Polaris very soon. And that version is going to remove our whole public SaaS API and it's going to replace them with CSS custom properties. And those CSS custom properties are going to be documented. As full disclosure, they're going to be a complete mess. Like this is uh, SaaS converted to CSS in the, the worst way possible. Um, but the next step will be cleaning that up and making that better and making that the best API for our consumers. But we're putting it in a place where we can like easily transition from one technology to the next. I don't know if we'll ever transition off SaaS, but we want to be less dependent on that so that we can start to experiment with um, ideas like Tailwind or Vanilla Extract to play with, with like reducing the total number of CSS, uh, the total bundle size of CSS, I guess is really what I'm trying to say. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, we really appreciate it and um, we will see you around. Thank you so much. Great to meet you both. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.